Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Terry Two, and welcome to my show called Bike Time. I'm your host for the next 30, 35 minutes, okay? And today's show is entitled Musical Technology for All. So what we're going to discuss is how the technology with musical instruments with the MP3 files and everything else, how it has it evolved, evolved in the last 45 years to now and present. And, and I just think it's how you can maximize the level of intelligence to use these musical instruments to make them like back in the day, they were small and you compress them to, I mean, they were so large and you compress them so big because of the microchips processes that are involved in here. So we're going to get into all that. We're going to talk about some of the old, old school, uh, uh, inventions and that came out back in the day. So we'll talk about that, but first and foremost, before we go any further, before we go any further, I want to dedicate today's today's show to my mother, Marie Toot. Uh, Wednesday, February 2nd would have been her 87th birthday. She passed away um, on December 29th, 2019, and we buried her two years ago. Um, so this show is dedicated to her because she meant a lot to me, my brothers and sisters, and everyone around. She wasn't, you know, of course, she grew up in the South and then she came up North and she didn't have much education, but she wanted to make sure that her children had education. I think she, she was hard on us. She was tough on us, but you know what? It's called tough love. You get over it. I don't think kids would have survived with her, but I love it. I miss her. And for one for her, I wouldn't be able to do, be here with you guys with this medium that we have, we call a podcast. So, um, I just want to say, mom, I love you. I know you're up there cooking. Everybody got a plate with some collard greens, some fried chicken, some black eyed peas and all that good stuff. And everybody get out, anyone that gets out of hand, I know you'll put them in check, you and dad. So, um, that's all I wanted to say for her. And, uh, let's keep the show as they, as they always say, the show must go on. All right. So like I was saying earlier, um, I was talking about the various different machines and sorry about that. <laughs> so I, like I was saying, I was talking about how the, the technology has evolved from, I'm just going to say from when I was coming up. Okay. When I came up back late seventies, early eighties and the music, uh, the inventions, the, the technology was really starting to evolve. We're talking about how you can take, you remember how big those big cassette players we used to have, and you thought it was cool to have the tape record, tape recording, record people talking and listen to music on there. And then that was the thing, carry one of them. Okay. But now the technology has totally changed. Even when I was in high school. So like say, for instance, the cassette player, okay. The cassette player went from that compact, creepy thing to, I can tell you in 1983, I had a Sony, uh, cassette player stereo. Nice, real nice. You press the button, had a bass power button on there and beautiful. 
excellent, excellent, excellent at that time. So that's the that's what we're gonna talk about in our show today. So how we gone from you know the big bulky things to where we are today. So first and foremost, this first one, I don't know too many people don't remember the Technique 1200 turntables. A lot of DJs I used to spend, but I didn't have the Technique turntables. I had the Gemini's, uh, the belt driven. But I messed around with them, and let me tell you. You go back to back in the day, Funk Master Effects, Kid Capri, uh, DJ Red Alert, um, who else? Spinderella from um, Salt and Pepper. Who else? Uh, Eric B. Oh, that's say Funk Master Flex. All the DJs from back in the day, and they swear uh, Jam Master J. All they couldn't, you swear they could not. They got to have the Technic twelve hundred. And let me tell you. Going through parties in Jersey City and North and in Manhattan was the first thing the DJs had up there. Besides the mixer, they had the 1200 turntables. They were by far scratching and everything else phenomenal. Excellent. So I'm going to just read a little something about the Techniques SL 1200 turntables. It came out in 1972, but they were a mainstay for such a long time. So in 2010, Audiophiles more and Panasonic's announcement that they ceased production of Technics SL-1200s. For nearly 30 years, the silver and black decks have been popular, but they really caused a sensation when MK2 hit the streets in 1979. Rock and Soul in Manhattan, right down the street from Madison Square Garden. It's improved pitch adjustment, capability simplified start-stop button, and a quartz lock control system. Coupled with Technics existing direct drive mode, that's what they had. That's how the DJs were able to scratch so easily as opposed to more tenuous belt systems. That's what I had in the Gemini, okay? Uh, this made the M2Ks catnip for budding hip hop DJs looking to use and abuse uh, playback possibilities. And it's still regards as a quintessential scratching tool. Serato be damned, you know that because they stole from them. <laughs> All right? So that was one of the things, the Technics, Technics 1200 turntables. We had the old, we had the turntables back in the day the 33s, 45s, but when that came, the blasting, doing block parties and stuff like that, the Technique 1200s were the way to go. All right. Here's one I really enjoyed, you know, the Sony Walkman. I'm telling you, I love my Sony Walkman. I loved it. The sound on them was great. Only thing about it, <clears throat> they didn't have the great, they didn't have good headphones back then, like how they do now. So, you had to get the the headphones that came with it, or you could go to like a nearest a store and get the other Sony's and plug and play, and they and they work good. But you had to get better headphones. So Sony Walkman, phenomenal. My, I loved it. And then you got tired listening to the tape. Boom. What are you gonna do? You listen to the radio. But sometimes, like you're on the commuter train, they're not that good. But let me tell you, for the invention that came out back in the day, it couldn't go wrong. So I'm gonna just read a little something about it. Few commercial products defined in the 1980s like the Sony Walkman, Walkman, which arrived in 1979 as a convenient, fashionable way to make an already portable innovation even more portable. The Walkman represented a true synergy of music tech. You hear that? For it wouldn't have been possible without Philips cassette tape or Nathaniel Baldwin's headphones. Let me tell you, I remember the day you can go into a store and like, um, Kiss FM New York would have shows, DJ shows at 1440 Broadway. And they would do hip hop, 
music, uh, they'll do parties. So what we would do is we'd go to the nearest music store and find out you got TDKs, Maxell. And let me tell you, when they start doing it, when they did DJ Red Alert, could Capri start hitting the turntables? And let me tell you, you made sure that you had a fresh Maxell TDK tape ready to uh, record that party. But like I said, Sony Walkman, it blew everybody away. And then Sony got a little bit more innovative, uh, like the t- um, the boom boxes where you could press the button to go forward to skip a song. Well, Sony um, Walkman's had that too. I do miss them. Let me tell you. I wish there was a, a Sony. Let me tell you, you got to come back with something like that. I heard there's one out there, but I'm, I'm telling you, that was great to have them. All right. The next... I'll say uh, reciprocal, not reciprocal, but the next thing, next item I'm going to talk about, something that we've had for a while and then kind of disappeared. And I even bought one um, back in December. The commercial compact disc, all right, been out since 1982. Okay, I'm going to read what it says. The lasers once evoked futuristic fodder, yet way back in 1979 okay and they experimented phillips and sony cracked heads an optical 12 centimeter audio disc that could reproduce hi-fi worthy sound all it took was a harnessing surface laser beam reflections that convert digital data into analog sound and let me tell you and after that it's been crazy okay i know we got the we can download music put it on our players and everything but you know what if it weren't for these guys coming up with the disc, none of this stuff would have happened, okay? Because it's all formatted on here, okay? Next invention and next uh, device I'm going to talk about, it's more on the commercial side for DJs or performers, is the Akai S900 sampler. This came out in 1986. Okay. Two years after Japanese electronics manufacturer Akai broke ground, they busted open the possibilities for hip hop and electronic producers venturing beyond the tables, mix match, phone technology to music transmission. For 13 years, over the 13 years, as computers became more sophisticated. Oh, let me take that back. Uh, let me see that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, so the sampler, I mean the wrong thing. I'm sorry, people. All right, for the sampler, Sorry, wrong page. <laughs> okay, uh, okay. The S nine hundred sample could store and edit more than thirty repurposed sound bites at once. Okay, and made compositional looping and manipulation a reality. So basically, what they would do is that on that sampler, they would take a song, like say a verse that's on there, they can loop it, and basically, it's like in music terms, a coda. It will repeat. Boom, ba boom, ba boom, ba boom. You ever in the song? Yeah, ba boom, ba boom. It repeats. So basically, they're looping the sound to come back around, come back around. Okay. And a lot of DJs, you know, Dr. Dre, uh, who else? Terminator X, all those cats, they use the samplers back in the day. Right. And like I said, still the S900 remains a legacy product for Akai. And renowned starter kit for novice beat makers. There you go. Okay. And next, I'm going to talk about something that everybody uses every day. It's called the World Wide Web. Okay. 
And, and let me tell you, the World Wide Web, be it good or bad, it is beneficial for all of us, okay? I know people that are doing things they shouldn't be doing out there on the World Wide Web, but let me tell you, for the music genre, it has been phenomenal, okay? Even though I'm going to say around 2000, when they were doing peer-to-peer and basically uh, taking music and just putting it on the, on the network and just say, say, friends, I think who was, uh, there was a bunch of groups that were complaining, which is true. They were, people were stealing their music and they were burning it on the disc. And next thing you know, you got a whole album for free. Cause someone down the line on, on the network and said, Hey man, listen, take this file and you can burn it to a disc. And then you go play in your car. I've done it. Okay. It's either here or there. So, uh, the World Wide Web, 1989, you can't go wrong because, uh, let's see, Napster was their originator and now they bought Rhapsody and they are now owners of the true blue now is Napster. Okay. So the World Wide Web, it, it was phenomenal. You know, it is what it is. And the web, uh, of course, decentralized how we receive and share information and change the planet, but also enable mischief makers like Sean Fanning to launch digital music software such as Napster and YouTube's young founders to reestablish video as a relevant tool for artist promotion and expression. So basically what it is, uh, I remember the Sean Fanning when he was able to appear to peer file sharing and a lot of bands were, were not happy about that because number one, their music was on the network and then people were playing the music. Hey, I was one of them. We all were, we're all guilty of doing it. And people were complaining they had every right to come on. You, you gotta give them the money. Okay. So like I said, that's the World Wide web is phenomenal for what we're doing. Okay. Next and foremost, we're going to talk about something that's a little bit different now for, for all you, all you computer geeks. I'm not really a computer geek. I'm just a guy that likes computers and mess around with them. That's my livelihood. So here is something that's really, um, uh, you know, recording. So Pro Tools it came out in 1991. In 1999, Digi Design founders Peter Gotcha and Evan Brooks first released Sound Tools, a completely digital recording and editing system for Mac and Apple Macintosh computers. Okay, but it was the reboot as Pro Tools in 1991 with multi-track capabilities and faster processing that broke the mold. Uh, Digi uh, Design was later absorbed by Avid. Okay, and Pro Tools reigns among the amateur artists and elite engineers alike. Even if some idealists would trade its ease and affordability for the crackling and imperfections of vintage hardware. I get where they're coming from. Okay, so basically what they're saying, you can make a record in your house in no time instead of going to the studio and burning it on wax like they do back in the day, used to do. Um, so, but what the, this was exactly the same, but you could do with Pro Tools, you could basically co- record a record, produce an, an album in your house. All right, next one is the MP3. All right, MP3, who remembers that? Okay, MP3, the revolutionary audio files journey 
actually commenced in 1982 when German audio engineer Karl Heinz Vandenberg, Vandenberg, excuse me, helped the professor search for ways to apply digital in Tom's Diner in collaboration with the Moving Pictures Experts Group, MPEG. Standards were set, and thanks to the internet, a proper host had emerged. The extension MP3 was selected and cemented in, 19, in July 1995. And the rest, including its unforeseen snowball effect on the music industry, is history still being encoded. So that MP3 file, like I have for the intro music here, that's what I have. So now you can, you got different formats now. You got MP3, you got the wave format. And I forgot what the other one was, but those are the two main ones that are out there in the market. So you have that option out there. So say for instance, if I had uh, YouTube, uh, YouTube music, and I had a paying service for it, I would get files would be MPAT, MP3. Now, when it comes to Apple, their format's a little different, and people have tried to break the um, break in and do this thing, not happening. But their format is—I I don't think it's a wave format. I forgot what it's called, but same thing. It's basically on that same routine on the same level for recording music, uh, computerized music. So I think Jay-Z has a lot of music. I don't know if he still owns it. I thought he had sold it, but Tidal is definitely what he uh, had. And then, like I said, you got YouTube Music, you got Apple Music, Rhapsody Now, which used, um, which used to be, um, yeah, Rhapsody. No, excuse me, not Rhapsody. It's the other company that we just talked about. So that's totally changed uh, in America and worldwide. And like I said, that MP3 file was like the thing that really uh, blew everyone away. All right. Next thing we're going to talk about. This one's called Auto-Tune. Okay. So just with, you know how I was saying, Auto-Tune. All right. Okay. So the majority of these inventions come from scientific minds. Auto-Tune is no exception. His parent company, Antares Audio Technology, originally called Jupiter Systems, was founded in 1990, 1990 by geophysicist Andy Hillenbrand using the same digital signal processing technology. Okay. He employed to measure seismic data. Hillenbrand first patented the Infinity Infinity sample looping software and various Pro Tools plugins. Well, it's auto-tune, a DSP power program used to course correct vocals, okay, and instruments. That adds his legacy. Uh, it's creative, limitless, limitless, has empowered the likes of Kanye West, but also gave us the recording careers of his ex-wife, Kim Kardashian. Uh, didn't work out. <laughs> so anyway, I've seen auto-tune work. Now, I tried to play guitar, didn't happen, and, but... I bought the auto tune that you clip onto your guitar. So when you hit the strings, it'll tell you, hey, if it's tune out of tune, all right? Same thing with your vocals. If you're out of tune, they'll let you know. Can't go wrong. Right. Another software. Brilliant person. Steve Jobs wasn't about to take Pro Tools lying down. In 2002, Apple acquired German company Imagic, they also launched product engineer Gerhard Lingling and his innovative 
uh, Logic software, which basically allowed home computer users access to studio level features. Concurrently, Langoline cooked up GarageBand, which refined Logic's foundation even further so that the amateur enthusiast or cash-strap do-it-yourself musician could become expert overnight in digital recording and mastering. Jaws demonstrated GarageBand 2004 Macworld Expo and a decade on in conjunction with standard barriers or Pro Tools and Logic, it continues embolden previously tech averse artists. So basically what that is, same thing I was talking about earlier with the other software where you can make your own album at home, your own your own LP instead of spending spending thousands and thousands of dollars in a recording studio, you do it yourself. Okay, you just gotta make sure that most of the time uh, on these using the software and Apple's is phenomenal for doing that. Their computers are their computers are more based for like artists. So if you're a musician, those are the best computers to use. We're getting we're gonna talk about them too. All right, but. The garage band, you can't beat it. Okay, it's software. It's been out since 2004. Here we are, 18 years later, and the people are still using it. Okay, you just got to be aware of how to mix in the drums, how to mix in the vocals, how to mix in that the tambourine over there, someone's playing, and uh, and and all that. Then you got to make sure that everything's together. Okay. All right. All right. Like I said, I hope everyone's doing good out there today because it's very cold, all right? From, I guess, from the Midwest all the way up to New England, snow again, snow again, snow again. So if anybody's out there that's listening between, I guess it would be Chicago all the way up to New England, I guess Maine, please be safe out there, okay? Because um, this cold weather this year has been pretty crazy. So just be careful out there and be safe, all right? Okay, now we're going to go to the actual instruments. Here we are. You know how everybody has digital this, digital that, synthesize that. So drummers are no better, okay? Simmons has an electronic drum kit with mesh pads, okay? The Simmons SD350 provides a bigger than expected drum sound with less than expected price, okay? $300. The full-size 5 p mesh head electronic drum kit is idea convenient setup for rehearsals. You see that? So instead of dragging all your basses, your snares, and your, your hi-hats, you know, all that stuff, you got these electronic drums. They're basically the same thing, but you got to hook it up into uh, amp and all that stuff. Still, it's easy to pull up. You got to pull all your, your snares, your tom-toms. As if you got roto tom-toms, you got to bring that, okay? This is just it. Boom. One, two, three, four, five. Bam. Done. Okay. Um, the sound module features 10 drum kits, 179 sounds, 10 songs, 8-inch mesh heads, off a real drum field with a quick assembly design for fast and easy setups and teardowns. Okay. All right. So, and before we go any further, I'm going to talk about a couple things here. You know how we're talking about how technology has really taken off? Like this medium right here. I'm using a Samson microphone, and I also have the the Yeti, also. And look at this. I'm doing this with a laptop, headphones, and a microphone, and of course my mouse. That's it, people. I don't have a studio. I'm down here in my man cave doing this show to you. Okay, 
and on a little small table. So after I do this, what I do? Pack it all up. Guess what? I'm done. 15 minutes, I'm done. I'm packing. Packing everything up. Done. Party, party's over. All right? That's another one the, the technology has changed in the last 40 years. Okay? And let's see. Like I said, I have the uh, QE2. It is USB and XLR microphone. Okay? And I was just talked about the Yeti. Same thing. All right? And also, the microphones, some of our condenser microphones, like the Yeti is a condenser. This one is not. But you know I had the popping sound in here? I have a pop filter on here. So when, they, when you hear the P's, it's not, you know, how back in the day you talk and you, you know what I mean? You're not hearing that. So, okay. And let's see. Okay, so a lot of musicians, we're still talking on the technology thing here. So... I did a little research and found out what is the best laptops to use for recording, uh, like I said, garage band type of thing, or trying to um, save money by not going to the recording studio, unless you get that big money contract from recording companies, okay? So did a little research, and I found out that the uh, Apple MacBook Pro 16 is regarded as one of the best laptops to use for mixing your music together and it's regarded one of the best. So I'm just giving you some quick specs on there. Now, you know, Apple is making their own chips and not relying on Intel. So it's got an Apple, either or M1 Pro or M1 Max chip, up to uh, 10 core CPU or 32 core CPU, and a 16 core neural engine, up to 64 bits of RAM. So that's a lot. That's a lot of slots on there. So not only are you using their own chips, you're also able to put that much RAM in there, okay? So that's why you need uh, a machine with power like this. So I'm not, and I'm not going to say I'm not going to try to knock the Dells or other or PCs, but this machine is is rated. I I did a lot of research on this, and it's rated one of the best for doing music, okay? Um, it really is. And also, what else does it have? It's got the 16.2 inch liquid retina XDR display, True Tone Batlick uh, Magic Keyboard, Touch ID, Thunderbolt ports. So it's four USD ports, HDMI, and an SDXC card slot, card slot. So that's really good. And of course, this thing costs a lot of money. So I, I think it's about $3,000. That's a lot of money for a laptop. But if it's a tool that you need, I don't see a problem getting that. You know, so that you know that's something you think about. And first, and then before we go, okay, real quick. People, we have people that play uh, keyboards, right? Boom, boom, boom. I mean, back in the day, back in the day. So, like, say for instance, uh, keyboard players they had to go to a studio or whatever, go to a friend's house, use a keyboard. Now we got Casio. Okay, Casio. Wow. They came out, was it 1980? The Casio 201, so it's a CT-201. Uh, the first Casio electronic uh, musical instrument born to wish to bring the joy of playing music to everyone. Okay, this is one of the first portabilities of uh, bringing music with you. And it had ROM cartridges, so you play music like you do in the video games. You could do this with the Casio uh, keyboards back in the day. Now, I even own one. I own the Casio keyboard. I own the Casio Tone CT5200. So I bought mine 
uh, just as the pandemic was in full force and, you know, I was home one week, off, home one week, work one week, home one week, work one week. So I needed something to keep myself occupied. So I bought a keyboard from Amazon. And let me tell you, I, I don't know that much about keyboards. You know, I know the, the I know the notes because treble clef and is the same as in saxophone. So I learned a few keys. And, and another thing too, it has music uh, chords that are built in, and you could do like like house music, club music, and other uh, genres on there. And you could change the tone from like guitar, uh, saxophone, um, organ on there. Phenomenal. I love it. I love it. I haven't played it in a while. Here's something I'll do today. It's kind of cold. I'm staying in the house anyway. But um, excellent. Excellent. And, and Cassio, like I said, believe, unbelievable. Like right now, if I want to go somewhere to a friend's house, I bring the keyboard, guess what? I could pack it up with a power cable. Guess what? Take it there. Let's hit, let's play it. Boom, boom, boom. Done. They started all this. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And the final uh, instrument I'm going to talk about real quick is the Les Paul guitar. Les Paul was a jazz musician back in the day, in the 50s and 60s. And he played almost up to his death. Uh, in Manhattan, at Iridium. And there was a club not too far from uh, Carnegie Hall he used to play at on Monday nights. The guy was, I mean, unbelievable. So I'm going to read what we have on here. The Gibson Les Paul is a solid body electric guitar that was first sold by Gibson Guitar Corporation in 1952. The guitar was designed by factory manager John Hewis and his team with input from endorsement by guitarist Les Paul. His typical design featured a solid mahogany body with a carved maple top and a single cutaway. A mahogany set in neck with a rosewood fretboard, two pickups with independent volume and tone controls, and a stop tail bridge, although variants exist. Like I said, and his guitar is all over the place. God rest his soul, because he was, you ever, if you get a chance, check out and listen to some of his old videos on YouTube, Les Paul. Oh my God, could the guy rip it for jazz guitars? I'm telling you, he is fun. He was really great. God bless him. He was really good. I could see why they named the guitar, you know, with his input, because what a perfect name, Les Paul, Gibson guitar. And everybody played with Slash, uh, uh, um, all the guitars played Les Paul guitars. And, you know, and they're really great. So I, and that was the Les Paul's produced in many versions and editions since, along with Fender's Telecaster and Stratocaster, it was one of the first mass produced electric solid body guitars due to the versatility les paul electric guitars have been used in a wide range of music genres from rock country pop soul rhythm and blues blues jazz reggae punk and heavy metal i'm telling you it's phenomenal what you can what the technology has gone in the last 40 50 years who would have thought that back in the day back in around 35 robert johnson he had a record compressed on wax in an old dungy recording studio to where you can record music at home. That goes to show you how far the technology has changed. And ladies and gentlemen, this is not, this is not going to stop. But like I said, it's unbelievable what we could do with technology today compared to our forefathers and foremothers and all that, but unbelievable, unbelievable. So, 
And let's see, we got a few more minutes, and I just want to find out. I'm going to send a shout-out to the Cincinnati Bengals and the L.A. Rams in next week's Super Bowl. And I'm going to tell you right now, I did pick uh, Kansas City to beat uh, Cincinnati, but my God, what the hell? Cincinnati, you you have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose, Cincinnati. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going with Cincinnati because Joe Burrow, uh, who else? Uh, uh, Jamar Chase, the running back, and then you got the other uh, uh, wide receiver from Clemson. Let me tell you, they have nothing in, in uh, Jalen Ramsey can't stick neither one of them. He cannot stick neither one of them. For, for his corner, he has no chance to stick them. Those guys are fast. And they're catching everything Joe Burrow's throwing to them. All right. So I'm going to give you my prediction Cincinnati Bengals, 24. LA Rams, 20. All right. So listen, I thank you for everybody listening today. And I appreciate it. And like I said, please, everybody, stay, stay warm. And. And like I said, and please stay warm out there. It's really chilly out here. It's 32 degrees here in Maryland. I know in New York it's cold. I know in other places it's really, really cold. So I just want everybody to enjoy yourselves, stay warm, stay healthy, and be safe. And this is going to be the end of our show for today. And I hope to hear from you next week. Good luck. Be well. Be merry. Stay warm. Take care, everybody. Love you.